0: You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. We're loaded up today. Big time news at the top at Auburn. Uh, Some more trouble with the NCAA at LSU. And this time it's not basketball. It could be football. Also, some recruiting flip-flops. And we'll get to a recruiting report for the University of Tennessee. So a lot going on. i tell you what's going on. is Twillery.com. Go to Twillery.com. Use the Locked On promo code for $25 off. That's right. The Locked On promo code gets you $25 off these fantastic shirts. Incredibly comfortable. And you don't even have to iron them. So here we go. He's Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. Be sure and check out that site. I'm Dave Hooker. And we start with a shakeup that we really didn't have time to get to. Uh, Last week, but it comes at Auburn. And, of course, we know Gus Malzahn is in a a bit of a tenuous situation there. And now the president has resigned. They have a fairly new athletic director there. How would you describe the hierarchy on the Plains? Well, let's go back
0: to, obviously, um, in a time where um, not long ago where Gus Malzahn is kind of on shaky ground. But the Arkansas job comes open. And before they hire Chad Morris, they made a strong run. Or at least Gus Malzahn's agent, Jimmy Sexton, good friend, but a great, great uh, coach's agent, uh, at least was able to convince Auburn, who at that time was working without an athletic director. This was long before Alan Green was hired as the athletic director. So because of, and, and while there was a lot of people on the Auburn board, that wanted to move on from Gus Malzahn. You had their president, um, Stephen Heath, uh, kind of feel the pressure of don't want to lose my coach to Arkansas. It makes me look bad. So he himself gave Gus Malzahn the contract and a huge contract at that and a long contract at that to the point where I think could be wrong. A lot of outside money could could be raised and in Auburn, Dave Weedo that historically it has. Um, I, I do think that Gus, because of the fact that there's so much money owed, that if he shows anything, you know, and it's... You, you, I don't think he can have a, a an 8-4 and four type season, but if they have a decent season, I think he can buy himself another year because of this huge, con- huge contract. Well, it was Stephen Heath, the president, that gave him that contract, and he was the guy that... You know, the president, and and in, in, in you get into not just the egos, but how it looks on your resume. You made that decision. He was going to obviously fight that. Hey, anything close, anything that's, you know, I think we know, Dave, that if it goes bad, Gus is gone. If it goes just great, like making the playoffs, well, then that's clear, you know, that, that he's back. It's it's usually going to fall into that gray area. And obviously when you have the president that did your contract, you've got maybe, you know, a strong, strong, uh, ally in your corner. Now he's gone. So what I think this does, I think it kind of gives, you know, um, all shade for Gus Malzahn and all support for him. And I think it kind of puts him out on an Island that the only way he really survives is if he has a great year, because I think internally there's a lot of people, uh, in that Auburn. uh, I know not just the key boosters, but on that board, on that Auburn board, they wanted to make a change. So I think it's significant. People may think well, it won't really matter because if he doesn't have a good year, he wasn't going to be back anyway. True. But since it's likely to fall into a gray area, whether it'll bring him back or not, that's likely the case. I think certainly the biggest ally that he had is likely gone. So Alan Green, the athletic director, now for the first time, has kind of real control on it. Think about him when he's been asked about Gus. Well, he said the perfunctory things. But, you know, you, you you kind of got to be aware of in the political climate that your president was the one that gave him the big contract. So whether he internally thinks he made a mistake or not, you know, he basically has to support, you know, what the move that has been made and support your head coach, which is what you have to do anyway as an athletic director. But now. This is not a guy, for example, and we got to remind folks that maybe don't follow Auburn. Auburn fans know this, of course, that the athletic director Alan Green didn't didn't give Gus Malzahn that extension and the new contract. So I think this puts uh, puts Gus on a on an island,
1: Dave, uh, going into this season. Mm, that's not good. And you know, there was a time he was thought of as uh, one of the best X's and O's guys uh, out there. And uh, we've talked about some of the top recruiters. Uh, that are in the SEC. I'm curious who you think. Uh, how would you would rate so to speak. Some of the best X's and O's. Coaching staffs in the SEC. And where he might fall.
0: Well I think Gus is really good. At coaching his offense. I think it's a. Very simplistic style. Of power spread. And he knows it as good as anything. The, the issue with Gus and why he doesn't rank very high for me and never has as an ex, is an old guy is, is outside of that comfort zone, um, he's not that diversified. He doesn't adjust very well, which is why if you look at Auburn's success under Gus, when he's had the athletic quarterback that's a good zone read option decision maker, and he's got the really good offensive line That offense worked very, very well. The defense has always been very good. He hasn't really been involved in that. He's obviously hired uh, and hired pretty well on that, and they've had good personnel. But on the offensive side, when they've tried to tinker, and the politics at Auburn has often forced Gus into, you you need to hire a coordinator, and you you need to do this, and you need to do that. And Gus has tried different things, and he's tried to have guys to come in to add to what he does on offense, and it just – it's just been oil and water. It hasn't mixed. They don't have and they've never had a good passing offense. And what I mean by that is we're not talking about passing yards, folks. We, In, in the, the Cam Newton years, the Nick Marshall years, they got big plays out of the passing game because people had to overplay the run. Um, I, I think it's pretty average. I, I think that offense is very, very um, unique. But very, very simplistic that I think is pretty easy to defend when you don't have a dominant quarterback. And so that's that's been the whole key. I think that they would not fit into the top, you know, um three or four in terms of X's and O's in the SEC. I, I would definitely put year in and year out, Alabama number one, and and again, not grading this particular assistant staff, because so many of them are new. I can, based upon how I know they're going to coach and what they're going to coach and with the, ed co- the head coach who's very involved from an X's and O standpoint, I know because of him that that has been the consistent and the best coaching staff with him heading it. I would put Florida number two um, right now, uh, and that is a drastic change because they would not have been in the top half dozen. I think Dan Mullen and what he does, I think they're a little bit aggressive and sometimes gimmicky on defense, and they're really talented, but I like the mixture of what they've got. I think they're currently really good, but I think there's there's a gap there um, after Alabama. I would probably put AM slightly above Georgia, in that I think Jimbo is a huge advantage as a quarterback developer as an offensive designer, I think as a guy that works with quarterbacks and coaches them hard and is a really good play caller, he really is committed and works and teaches the running game better than most, you know, coordinators today. And, um, I, I think that he does a, a phenomenal job. So I think it's pretty close, quite frankly, between Florida and a and Uh, I think Georgia staff is really good. I think, you know, um, Kirby and his defense has been outstanding. I think they've tinkered with the offense. I think they're very sound. They are very well coached on the offensive line. Uh, they're talented there, but they're very well coached. They stay committed to the running game, and they've done a nice job developing young quarterbacks. Uh, and look, uh, people will say, well, you know, Kirby in big games, and they can't beat Alabama. Well, <laughs> hey, who has outside of Clemson in college football? I think they're really, really good. So I think there's there's that's that's the cream of the crop, you know, Alabama. Uh, I I would go with Florida, go with A and M, then um, I would go with the with Georgia. After that, I think there's a little bit of a gap. I would say that LSU may be slightly over Auburn, although that's a toss. Um, I would say that when he's got his running able to run his style, I think Gus is a, is a little bit better offensive coach than what LSU has been able to put forth on offense. I think LSU is supremely coached on defense with Dave Aranda. And I think that uh, with Kevin Steele, Auburn is very good. So I think it's pretty close between those two. I'd give LSU the edge there. Tennessee, still young, still developing their staff. I would probably put South Carolina and Tennessee kind of in that next tier. Uh, Arkansas, still pretty young. I think Chad can – Improve a lot of what the dynamics of what they do on offense. Um, I think defensively, they're they're devoid of talent. Schematically, they're going to have to be overly aggressive and go in that direction. Uh, I think that um, Kentucky is really well coached and probably as a staff uh, deserves to be in that group with Tennessee and South Carolina. Uh, last year was a really good year. I think that you're see that what they can do with development of personnel and last year uh, was just a a big time hit I think that there could be a little bit of a drop this year I think with another year Dave of showing what they can do in developing players probably deserve to be put in that tier with Tennessee and South Carolina and based on last year at the top of that group but you know, uh, I, I want to see another year of it. And, and that's how I would, would put it. I do think that, um, that Mississippi state off of one year, I thought they were very, from a, a coaching standpoint, very, very average last year in what they got out of their personnel on both sides of the ball. Ole Miss, not very good. Uh, last year made some systemic changes. Uh, I think it's a big question mark. I think Missouri did a very nice job. I was critical of Barry Odom and I, and in terms of long range future of the program, I don't think he's a dynamic enough recruiter and probably at Missouri is going to be difficult to be a dynamic recruiter. Uh, but I think that they're a pretty solid coach. So pretty solid coaching staff. And I would put them a little bit, uh, after Kentucky after, uh, in that, in that group with Tennessee and South Carolina, but at the bottom of that tier, Um, so uh, I would put Missouri ahead of the two Mississippi schools. I think that Vanderbilt does a nice job. I think anytime you can go to a bowl game, I think Derek Mason's done a pretty solid job. I think you could make a strong case that based upon stability that they deserve right now to be a little bit ahead of at least off of the past couple of years, they did a better job than, say, Mississippi State did last year as a coaching staff. So people say, well, why don't you have them higher? Well, I'm I'm looking at it in terms of where the staff is looking at what they did last year. But when you have a one year sample size, good or bad, I think you have to factor some things in and you have to anticipate based upon changes how you think it might play out. So I would probably put um, right now off of going in that Mississippi State Ole Miss Vanderbilt in that bottom tier in any order, and, and, and I'll, I would say that Vanderbilt has done a little bit better because they've had a staff that's been a little bit more consistent, but I do think we'll see an improvement on Ole Miss' staff, and I think in the second year we'll see a Mississippi State staff that's going to be a little bit more improved relative to last year. So that's kind of how a rundown of how I see the X's and O's uh,
1: in the SEC. Coming up, a very strange, strange uh, situation at LSU that could affect their football program in terms of the NCAA taking a look, and that's never good. And also, uh, a lot of recruiting flips and a new commitment uh, for the University of Tennessee. So stay tuned. He's Chris Landry at LandryFootball.com. Go to twillery.com for that Locked On promo and uh, that promo code gets you $25 off. Locked On is all you got to do to get $25 off some fantastic shirts. So stay tuned. He is Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. This is your Locked On SEC Football Podcast.
0: You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome back to your Locked On SEC football podcast and a program I know you're very close to at LSU and just a, a very odd situation. A former booster, um, he, he pleads guilty uh, to stealing over a uh, half million dollars, essentially from a charity, and some of that may have been funneled to a, a former player, which obviously uh, well, they're they're both dastardly things, but the latter gets the NCAA involved.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're talking about uh, John Paul Funes, who um, was the CEO or the COO of the Our Lady of the Lake Foundation, which is a uh, a major hospital in Baton Rouge. Um, there has been a large fundraising effort as they are opening. In fact, it is coming up soon uh, and this is part of how the story kind of came out, opening up a brand new children's hospital, which um, someone who's donated and someone who's um, done a couple of things to try to help raise money. And it's just a it's a phenomenal situation for the city of Baton Rouge and obviously to help young children that are sick is, is dear, near and dear to all of our hearts, of course. So it is, to me, something that was more distasteful without anything to do with football, and we're going to get into that in a second, but to put the framework. So this is a guy that was the CEO of the fundraising arm. He steals $550,000 from the Our Lady of the Lake Foundation. That is the worst part of the story, uh, and we can just end it right there, but it doesn't have anything to do with football uh, until we find out that, uh, court documents revealed that $180,000 of that money was sent to, uh, one James Alexander, the father of former LSU offensive lineman, Vidal Alexander, um, and the payment occurred while Vidal was playing at LSU. Um, James is from Atlanta. There's no connection to the Lady of the Lake Foundation. It was some red flags, obviously, um, state and. I'm assuming federal authorities. who I'm not certainly no expert on on that, Dave. Uh, on on how that's going to that that is uh, not a good situation, and we'll, we'll let the justice system figure out what to do with Mister Funes. But the NCAA, as as the NCAA normally does, they have very little uh, investigative power, and normally gets tipped off by things that are uncovered by other regulatory agencies like state and and federal agencies. Well, they. Got wind of it, and raised a red flag, and so now they have opened. The NCAA has an ongoing inquiry into the allegations, and that's where we have to leave the story because we don't know what else, if anything, happened. Now, it is important to note that the as soon as LSU found out this happened, um, they reported it to the NCAA. Uh, we can all sit there and have our shot at saying, well, "Wait a minute." Um, None of these boosters have ever given anything to a player unless it's the directive of somebody associated with the program. Um, It's not true, but there's no way to know in a given situation whether a booster was encouraged to do that, did it on his own. It's one of the seedy side of college athletics to where a lot of these guys like to quote unquote be big shots. Um, where they think they kind of almost have ownership of a program to where they can have influence. Then again, they're usually somewhat close to people inside an operation. How did he know to give money to a player, a wood player? All interesting things that I don't know that I have the confidence that the NCAA ever gets the right story. And is there enough evidence to cause any NCAA problems with LSU on this. Don't know. We know that the NCAA is, uh, is very active on LSU's campus because of the Will Wade situation on the basketball side. So listen, um, I know the question's going to be, well, what's going to happen? What do you think the NCAA has got? I have no clue, no flipping (laughs) clue, what the NCAA is going to do on anything, but that's the story. And for those that maybe are not as familiar with that's, kind of the deal there. I don't, if I had to guess, I, I think this is more of a guy that went rogue. Uh I think it is wrong and quite frankly ugly if anyone says, oh yeah, LSU's involved in encouraging a guy to take money away from a charitable outlet like our Lady of the Lake Foundation, uh, children's hospital raising fund. No, I, I can tell you that it's certainly not something that LSU would condone. Um, and and again, this is not someone who just is not, he's not the CEO of the hospital that has money. That's just deciding he's going to give some of his own money. This is a guy that is a CEO of a fundraising effort in which he's basically admitted to stealing $550,000, which that, you know, I'll leave that as it is. And you know how, how that puts that gentleman um, and, and obviously taking some of that money to do to play the big shot role of being uh, a booster. So again, to LSU's involvement, don't know what did they know? When did they know it? Uh, it's very possible uh, because they reported it to the NCAA and the NCAA began to investigate. Now people say, well, that's what you do. And that shows, inst- uh, uh, you know, having institutional control that means LSU is going to be in good shape. Well, maybe, maybe not. That's exactly what Missouri did in their findings with the whole academic fraud situation, yet they still got hammered. So we don't know what's going to happen, not predicting either way, but that's the story uh, that came out
1: uh, late last week on LSU. Yeah, just a uh, <clears throat> not a great situation uh, all around, and uh, that guy sounds like he is dug himself one 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 heck of a hole. Yeah, he has uh, got bigger problems
0: and the you know, NCAA is not something he's worried about. It's the feds that uh,
1: got to be looking inside that guy. Yeah. And maybe he should be worried about his own decisions as well. Uh <clears throat> let's get to some uh, recruiting updates. Uh several schools involved in recruiting news Florida, Georgia, AM, and uh Tennessee in a recruiting report. What do you got? Yeah, Derek Wingo, the
0: linebacker, that was a Penn State commitment, uh, flipped to Florida. He's 6'1", 215, really good-looking kid. He's from St. Thomas Aquinas, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Ty Granham, Christian Robinson did a really good job of flipping him, so he's now uh, pledged to the Gators. Uh, some interconference. conference uh, crime here. I like to call it. It's not crime, of course, but Aquino Ogobani, uh, the offensive guard, note you're glad you didn't have to pronounce that name, Dave. Yes. Uh, he's gone from Georgia to Texas A&M. He's verbally committed to the dogs, but he's now going to the Aggies. Uh, he's from Sugarland, Texas. So uh, he is now the Aggies 12th verbal commitment. Really good run blocker. And Georgia got a guy uh, in a Xavier Hill over the weekend. He uh, He's 6'3", 324, really good run blocker, physical, fits in the mold. We've talked about Alabama, going back to the big, physical, dominant run blocker. This is a guy that um, he's a three-star guy that people,
1: oh, well,
0: this is not a holiday guy. No, no, no. This guy is a really good, I mean, he's a five-star run blocker. He's not as good as a pass blocker, but he's, uh, he's a, look, uh, visited Tennessee, A&M, uh, he's now Alabama's 21st overall commitment,
1: and a recruiting report. University of Tennessee has been on a bit of a roll lately.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, done a nice job. Most recently, I want to talk about Keyshawn Lawrence um, in our recruiting report. As is, is uh, the four-star guy, is get a lot of offers from places like Alabama. This guy is really athletic. We've mentioned him before. Wanted to. Um, you know, get inside the film room and kind of break down a little bit of what he is in terms of a skill set. Just, you know, the typical football speed guy uh, only runs in the high four and uh, fives um, in terms of a 40. But this guy can really jump and he's got really good hips and really good feet. So his transition speed is outstanding. He's a thirty nine and a half inch vertical. I mean, he's got basketball Uh, vertical leap skills. He's 6'1", 195. He's going to be a 6'1", 210, 215 pound safety. That will be physical enough to come down, defend the run. Uh, He has the ability and the quick twitch uh, to come out of the slot as a blitzer. Uh, I think he's got the athletic qualities to be able to turn and cover a slot, cover those two-way goals. And then um, I think can be a deep cover guy. Uh, that can, again, flip your hips, play zone, play man, play some cover one, and be uh, the Rome guy that can break and in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in close to the ball very well. So really good get for Tennessee. They need more guys that look like him and play like him. So Keyshawn Lawrence um, is your recruiting report and your breakdown of what he looks like
1: inside the film room all right that's your uh, locked on sec football podcast uh, we do roll on uh but first we want to remind you you need to go to twillery.com and we will look at the film room here momentarily so stay tuned you're locked on sec football podcast he's chris landry i'm dave hooker
0: you are locked on sec football part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
1: Welcome back. You're locked on SEC football podcast. He's Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. You got to check out Twillery.com, and you can use the Locked On promo code to get twenty five dollars off. It is time for a film room look of Kevin Chase on, and uh, it's a guy that I know has certainly caught your eye, Chris.
0: Oh, and you caught my ear with a little Cajun flare, sounding good job, Mister Hooker. You uh, you I got will my be. Public. You will be uh, you will be inducted into the, the Cajun speaking Hall of Fame with that. Very good. Caleb on Chason, we forget about him. I've talked about him before. You know, he had the injury uh, early last year. Um, didn't play. You forget about the guy. This guy's a really good pass rusher and going back and, and obviously studying him and, and really look back over the spring and how he's progressed since the injury. He's going to be the guy that's going to jump out this year, I think, that you know, you're going to start to hear his name. We, we know Grant Delpert, and, uh, Delpert in the secondary is outstanding. But who's going to be the next really good pass rusher for LSU? That's going to be a difference maker. Who's going to be the 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 key chess player in Dave Aranda's defense? I think it's going to be Caleb on Chason. We know about Rashad Lawrence. They've got Glenn Logan. They've got pretty good defensive line. We know they're losing Devon White at linebacker. But Chason is, to me, going to be a really good edge rusher for LSU. He's got outstanding first step quickness. I like the way he plays with leverage and keeps good balance and shortens the corner when he can dip his shoulder. Uh I think you can move him around a little bit so you can you can move him inside, you could stun him and he can get skinny through a hole. Uh this guy I think is going to be a big time player and if he can stay healthy this guy's got first-team All SEC written on him, which again, that doesn't mean a whole lot just in terms of awards. But I think in terms of impact, I think this guy's going to be really good. So, look out for Caleb Onshayson at LSU this year.
1: And another guy you like, Roquan Davis. We have talked about him before, but he just uh, uh, continues to garner attention, and he he's on the verge of a fantastic year.
0: Well, I, you know, I hope he has the type of year that I think he can have. I would classify his career to this point as, I hate to put it this way, a little bit disappointing. Relative to what his capabilities are, relative to what his talent level is, he's been a little up and down. Um, I'm betting that he's going to have a really good year, but we shall see. If you look at players through Alabama's history, a lot of guys have really stepped up. I think, you know, if i could say anything about nick saban being underrated because i think most people think hey well certainly not underrated because everybody knows about nick saban but i think that nick does a tremendous job in growing up and coaching with nick i there're two things that I thinks real interesting about saban that maybe people may not be aware of uh, he was always really good as a teacher and as a coach in in terms of defense i thought he was always very good at putting together blitz uh, uh, pressure packages. Uh, I thought he was really good and aggressive with how he taught his corners and his secondary as a whole, but his corners in particular to play press man and be disruptive. And putting fronts and coverages together is not something that every um, coordinator does equally as well. And he was fantastic with that. But there are two things that Nick You know, when I was with him and worked with him in Cleveland that that I was a little bit surprised, Um, he learned very well how to evaluate players. Uh, This might surprise a lot of folks. Nick was not a very good evaluator of talent when he was in the NFL uh, as as an assistant coach. Uh, In fact, it was something that Bill Belichick worked really hard with him on. In fact, he sent uh, Nick and I out one spring, and we spent like three months together looking at every Defensive player uh, in the draft, and Nick was always a little bit, um, you know, he he rejected Dale Carter, and you know, I mean, because Dale Carter, we go on the workout at Tennessee, and Dale Carter, you know, is out there, and he um, he, <laughs> he flipped off Johnny Majors, and you know, and the attitude, <laughs> and, and 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 Nick, which you know, typical Dale Carter. Um, and, and Nick didn't like, he would find the negative of a player and kind of talk himself out of a player. And Bill was always, cause Bill Belichick had been in the league a long time. He understood that, yeah, there, there's going to be negatives with players, but focus on what a player can do and the coachability and things of that nature. And so he was right on terms of a fit with a Dale Carter, but everywhere we went, he became real negative. Well, just to give you an idea that you know you're not born a baby coach and you learn and grow this, Nick is as good as there is in college football, history at evaluating players and recruiting. No, it's not about you know look at all the five stars and go recruit them. It's about finding guys that fit what you want and having the critical factors and I know that when he went to Michigan State, we helped him put together kind of his not his ranking of players, but how his assistant should go about ranking, you know, the critical factors at each position and he's done a phenomenal job. That's one thing that I think that maybe people don't respect that, you know, Nick wasn't born with that. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He learned how to be a good evaluator. The other thing is he is really, uh, and I think he, this click for him at Michigan state, um, you, you know, after early stages of typical struggles at Michigan state, He kind of learned how to get the most out of his guys by focusing on not the result. And this is where the quote-unquote process started back at Michigan State. I don't care whether you win or not. I care whether you do what we tell you to do. You focus on the X number of things that we assign to you individually and collectively this week. And if you do those things, the result will take care of itself. I don't care if it's the first play or the last play, if we're, you know, it's a, a no score in the first play of the game, obviously, or we're up or down by 30, I, you, your job is to do what we tell you to do. And that's where the process began. And that's where the motivation of players I start to see. Because if you look around, there's a lot of talented guys that end up being underachievers. And, and this is where I'm getting with Roquan Davis. I think Roquan Davis is poised to be the next really good defensive lineman at Alabama. He has not been the consistent dominant player that they thought when they recruited him. And he hasn't developed quite as well as they had hoped. But this is the part where Nick Saban shines. He will put the pressure on him. It's your time. Do you want to be a great pro player? Do you want to be a difference maker at Alabama or do you want to be just a guy that's quite, you know, frankly, just underachieved to this point? That's where I'm going with Roquan Davis. He's a power rusher. He's not an edge guy. He's not going to generate a lot of sacks. So the ability to be able to control the point of attack, dominate every play against the run, and allow other guys to be able to make plays from the edge is what they're looking for, Rashad. Um, excuse me, Rashad, Roquan Davis. I got Rashad Lawrence, a fellow in my mind from the last couple of segments. But that's where Roquan Davis has really struggled in the consistency. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can be this year. Is he going to be a dominant first, you know, team, all-American, first-team SEC type guy? Just a guy that has a lot of ability that we're talking
1: about around draft time being an underachiever. That is your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Check out twillery.com. Use the Locked On promo code to get $25 off. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a fantastic day, everyone.